94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you until 2 a.m. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you do so. Um, As we have started the show tonight uh, discussing Gabe Kapler as we wrap up uh, the once and for all week on WIP, and today was Gabe Kapler Day on the station as we've debated all day whether he got a fair opportunity in Philadelphia earlier on in the week. Uh, Another Phillies topic, uh, the most important player on the 2008 Phillies, um, which we will get to into further detail throughout the rest of the show, as well as some of the other topics um, from this week as we had a a fun one talking about all the uh, once and for all stuff on WIP. Now to talk some Phils and some baseball. Uh, from Radio.com, Phillies Nation, uh, host of the Locked on Phillies podcast. And he had a T-Mac, Tom McCarthy, on earlier today. Uh, former producer here at WIP, Tim Kelly. What's up, Tim? What's up, Tom? I'm, I'm glad to be back on with you, man. Yeah, it's 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 uh, nice to hear your voice, Tim. And for all the people who uh, did not listen when we worked together back in the past, me and Tim are not related. Uh, we would have that joke made about us pretty much any time we spoke. We did a shift change and spoke to any of the other hosts that are on, but we are not related, Tim. Yeah, there's one specific weekend host that thought he was very funny with that joke. Yes, yeah, I, I, I think it was Jolly. I'm pretty sure that's where you're going with that. That's <laughs> fine. Um, but Tim, obviously, uh, a big baseball guy, and um, I like to dis- we'll like to talk to whenever we have baseball topics uh, to discuss. And Tim, where I want to start with you before we get into some of the uh, more pressing issues of current day and whether baseball is going to return this summer and the things that stand in the way. Um, I'm sure you've been listening this week, and you know that today was the Gabe Kapler day on the station. And whether he got a fair opportunity in Philadelphia, Tim Kelly, did Gabe Kapler get a fair shake in his time in Philly? I might be one of the few people that has a moderate opinion on Gabe Kapler. Uh, I certainly didn't think he had a roster equipped to compete last season, especially last year when seemingly the whole bullpen went down. That said, I mean, I I think it's legitimate that his personality did not prove to be a great fit for Philadelphia. And and frankly, I find the idea that it's going to – there's some people who have this concept that in three or four years we're going to look back and say – it was a disaster to fire Gabe Kapler. I, I just find that idea kind of silly. So, yes, there were people after that first series in Atlanta that were never willing to give him a chance. But if I was running the Phillies at the end of last year, would I have made a change? Yes, I would. Yeah, I, I kind of look at it the same way, Tim. Where I, I, I look at it with Gabe, and honestly, especially last year, I don't think he was terrible tactically. Like, I, I can't... And, you know, you probably remember better than me, but I can't point to a ton of instances where he was horrible with X's and O's last year. But do do you feel like part of it was his lack of of trying any different approaches, like the constant positivity and and those kind of things, just being unable to motivate some of the guys in that clubhouse? I think there was a concept or kind of a feeling there that maybe he was more like a big brother than – a father figure in a way as a manager. And I'm not saying that style can't be successful, but uh, everything that leaked out at the end of last season was that the Phillies felt like things got too lax in the clubhouse 
under Gabe Kapler, and I don't get the sense that it's going to be that way under Joe Girardi. Now, I don't think it's going to be as tight uh, as when Larry Bowe was the manager, but certainly I think there's going to be changes made this year, and Joe Girardi's probably the perfect person to come in in this time because, I mean, you've heard him in these interviews when he comes on WIP. He's worked in the media. He was very good in the media, and he knows how to handle being in this major market. That is not something that's going to bother him, and he's been very successful as a manager too. So I think he's a good fit here. Yeah, so when when we do start back up, if we start back up, which hopefully that happens um, in July, what strengths? Do you think that that is pretty much it, the, the experience in a big media market? Like what strengths do you think specifically Girardi – brings to the table that that he'd be a major upgrade over Gabe in in regards certain regards yeah I think compared to Gabe Kapler last year I hear a lot of people say oh just having Joe Girardi there is going to get you four or five more wins there's no manager in baseball that you move to and get four or five more wins the team being better is going to get you four or five more wins I'm interested to see uh mentality wise away from the actual in-game things, whether the Phillies are better, because I do feel like last season there were guys that underachieved at various points throughout the season, and the lineup wasn't necessarily the problem, but probably wasn't as good as it should have been, which is why they made a change at hitting coach last year. So there's things like the starting rotation and the bullpen that are either going to figure themselves out or they're not, regardless of who the manager is. But I, I think the clubhouse atmosphere is something that may change. And just kind of, I heard you talking before, maybe a bit more of a, a sense of urgency. This team didn't have a single winning streak of over four games last year. That's, it, it's insane to think about. I mean, there have been a ton of really bad Phillies teams in the last 10 years, and they all had multiple streaks, many of them five or six games. And the Phillies just couldn't string together a five-game winning streak once last season. And especially the fact they started four and zero, right? They won their first four games of the season. They they started three and one, and then okay. they coughed up the the fourth game in uh, in DC. David Robertson struggled, and then Reese Hoskins dropped the ball at first base that uh, he absolutely should have caught. Right. Yeah. Now I remember that one. Yeah. But, uh, not having a five game winning streak in a season that that really is crazy, especially when you look at that lineup. Now, Tim, one thing I want to bounce off you with. Um, this season coming up here, and it obviously, if things go according to plan and they start back up, it being 82 games, how do you think that impacts the Phillies specifically? Do you believe that gives them a better opportunity uh, than they would have had in a full season to potentially uh, make the postseason? I don't know. It's difficult to say. The one thing that really would worry me if I'm the Phillies is that I think over an 162-game season last year after a World Series run where Steven Strasburg threw a ton of innings and Max Scherzer had to uh, look kind of like he was breaking down physically, I didn't think the Nationals were going to be able to come back over an 162-game season this year and be a playoff team. Over an 82-game season, though, I think they're much better equipped to compete, and that obviously hurts the Phillies because they're playing within that same division. You have the Braves, who are probably the best team in the National League outside of the Dodgers, and you have the Mets, who, even though it feels like something always goes wrong, they have a good roster. So uh, there's gonna, it, it would appear if there's a season, there's going to be more playoff spots up for grabs, so that could help the Phillies. But it's certainly going to be a challenge. And one of the dynamics that's going to present itself in this season is that 
sure, two weeks, two really good weeks could get you into the playoffs, but two really bad weeks could absolutely doom you. And over the fa- over the past two years, you had the Phillies get off to a pretty solid start and then struggle in the second half. So it, it depends what Phillies you get. Do you get the first half? Do you get the second half? Do you get somewhere in between? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I, for one, you know, being somewhat of a casual fan, like I'll watch the Phillies every day, but I'm not watching like Mariners A's on a Wednesday night typically. But I think this being a shortened season uh, will uh, certainly add to the interest level. And um, having every game feel uh, like it's like it's it's such a big deal, and it can be a big swing, like you said. Uh, two weeks can help you significantly or hurt you significantly. And um, one of the other aspects of this, uh, the DH being brought to the National League, how do you see that impacting the Phillies? Do you think that is a a positive for them, uh, considering some of the bats they have off the bench? Yeah, I think it's time for the DH to come to the National League. I'm tired of pretending that a pitcher that manages to hit 200 is somehow a good hitter it's just it's silliness to me and I used to be kind of oh I don't care which way it goes just it should be equal in both leagues and now I really just feel like there should be a DH in the National League it appears there's going to be one this year if there's a season and I think as unfair as that is to a lot of National League teams that didn't get to prepare for the fact that there was going to be a DH this season the Phillies are actually in pretty solid shape because if you watched Alec Bohm in spring training, you got the sense that his bat was ready for the major leagues. He did not look good at third, and frankly, I don't know if he's going to be able to stick at third. You can bring him up now and have him DH, and on games where he's not DHing or getting an off day, whatever the case may be, JT Realmuto can DH or play first base and have Reese Hoskins DH. Andrew McCutcheon, who's going to be your leadoff hitter but is also 33 and coming off a torn ACL, he can get off his feet for a day. So, it's something that's, I think, very good for the Phillies. And as much as we're all still in the honeymoon phase with Bryce Harper, and he had a tremendous year in the field last year, by year 11 of that contract, I have a feeling we'll be pretty thankful that there's a DH option for him to play. Oh, definitely. That's a great point, that, that over the course of that 13-year contract, and you you got to think that they ha- may have factored that into so- when signing him to such a long-term deal because this is something that's been in, uh, the writing on the wall has been there for years. Yeah, I, I don't know if they factored that in specifically, but it, it certainly didn't hurt because over the past two or three years, there's kind of been a sense. I, I remember listening to a show that Joe Giglio did a few years ago when Justin Bohr got uh, picked up by the Phillies in August and talking about, oh, does this mean the DH is coming next year? So you've kind of gotten the feeling for the last two or three years that this is inevitable. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. And um, certainly that's something that, that obviously it'll, it'll happen this year and then probably uh, stick around for good. Now, Tim, when we look at the negotiations here and whether this ends up getting done, obviously it's a bad look with what's going on for uh, the owners and players um, to be fighting over money. But ultimately uh, the way I look at it, at least is there's too much on the table. Um, for a deal to get done. What's your take on it? And do you think ultimately they'll come, they'll come to some sort of an agreement? I don't know a hundred percent that they'll come to an agreement, but my guess is that they're going to come to some sort of agreement. The thing is players have made a concession, accepting uh, the union could have said, we don't care how is the season's 82 games, zero games, whatever we sign contracts and you're going to honor those contracts. 
they in good faith said, no, we'll prorate the salaries. Now, whether there was some agreement that they'd return to the table if there weren't fans in the stadium, I don't know. But what I do know is that players who are not billionaires and only have a limited amount of time to maximize their value, they have already made a concession. And I do think there's going to need to be another concession, but I can give you an idea of which side I think needs to make the bigger concession now if we're going to have a season. Yeah, and I think in the end, like you said, it's going to come down to both sides kind of finding a meeting point. And um, in the end, uh, it would just be such a bad look if they can't finish. Like, if you can finish all the, if you can find a way to deal with all the health stuff and then not come to an agreement over money, it would just be such a bad look. And now uh, to look back, Tim, to some of one of our other topics from earlier this week. Um, I know you have a really fond memory of the 2008 Phillies, as we all do here. And uh, the question was asked earlier in the week. Um, most important player on that team, who do you feel was the most important player on the 2008 Phillies? I don't mean this as a diss to any of the other 08 Phillies, but Chase Utley had an eight war in 2008, which is off the charts. He, I don't know how this has gotten lost in history, but Chase Utley was an elite defensive player at his peak too, and that was his absolute peak that year. I almost feel like we talk so much about how hard Chase Utley played, and he did, and that's great, and it should be admired. But the best thing about Chase Utley was how great of a player he was, not just that he played hard. I mean, uh, it, it kind of gets lost, I think, in history to some degree. I don't think they win in 2008 without any uh, any of the group of Howard, Hamels, um, Rollins, and you can even throw Brad Lidge in there, Jason Worth, Shane Victorino, but to me, Chase Utley's my pick. Yeah, and I don't think anybody in Philadelphia will really argue with that one, Tim. Everybody loves Chase. He did win our vote here on the station. So, um, obviously, uh, Chase Utley, one of the more beloved figures ever in Philadelphia. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at Tim Kelly Sports, Radio.com, uh, Phillies Nation, Locked on Phillies Podcast. And, Tim, you had uh, Tom McCarthy on today. You want to talk a little bit about that real quick? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tom McCarthy's been the Phillies' main announcer now for over a decade. We had a conversation about him and John Cruck calling the Grand Slam. We had a conversation about how you deal with Twitter trolls, a, a bunch of different stuff. I, I think a, a lot of times I love listening to these interviews with announcers because you only hear them talking about one thing and in their like zone for announcing. So when you get a chance – to listen to them actually have a conversation. Tom is a really, really good guy. And uh, not just because I'm the host of it, but I, I think it, it's a good listen. Well, Tim, I'll have to be sure to listen to it. I'll get you back on when uh, baseball's coming up starting again. We'll do a season preview thing. And also, I'll have to make sure to get you on when the Oscars come about again. Me, me and Tim <laughs> did a, a great segment predicting the Oscars at like 5 a.m., uh, like two years ago. Well, that was one of my favorite segments ever, Tim. That was I don't know how we got another <laughs> shift together after that show. Yeah, that was great. So uh, thanks for hopping on, Tim. Appreciate it, man. Awesome. Thanks, man. Right, take it easy. That's Tim Kelly, uh, former producer here at WIP, uh, radio.com, Phillies Nation, Locked On Phillies podcast. Uh, Tim does a great job and uh, knows uh, a lot about baseball. Uh, I feel like, especially with baseball, all of the producers that I've worked with end up knowing um, more more than I do. Uh, may, maybe not Bagman. Uh, Bagman, you're up there. But Mike Angelina and Tim Kelly oh, are like know, baseball They know far more about it than, than me. Yeah. But when we start talking about competitive badminton, 
or or bowling specifically before 1985. That's my wheelhouse. There you go. That, and that's where I come in. And I just want to clarify when I when I uh, meant producers I've worked with, I was not referring to Jack. I no, I know more about baseball Jack. than Jack. I think everybody knows more about baseball than Jack. Yeah, I mean, I don't even like if I were starting a baseball podcast about the Phillies. Right. You'd be like the eighth person I'd invite. That that yeah. I be mean, Julio Seltzer. And especially, I mean, you get a if he if he ever gets an invite on a big network, he's not going to say your name. No, just say the other that other guy. The other that that other guy, you know. <laughs> that is great. Um, the Jack Fritz on MLB Network referred to James Seltzer as the other guy. <laughs> One of the uh, funnier moments, um, I, I guess, in recent memory. Uh, that's that's really one of the only things I remember about Jack. I guess that's all. Huh? Yeah, that's it. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, thanks to Tim Kelly uh, for hopping on. As um, talk about a variety of topics with him, he gave his thoughts on the most important Philly from two thousand eight. As we transition on throughout the course of the show, we'll touch on all these once and for all topics on the post game show here. Um, and I, I do disagree with Tim, and I'll let you know why when we get back. I'm Tom Kelly, uh, with you till 2, Sports Radio 94 WIP.